Hi, I'm your host James Treewick, and you're listening to The Art of Inquiry. In this episode, we're continuing our discussions with, with Diff Crowther about Shakespeare, and today we're going to be looking at our favourite villains across Shakespeare's works. Hope you enjoy. We are back for episode three uh, with Diff. This is feeling now like, uh, you know, third time coming back. It's almost like first time you're like, oh, get introduction to someone. Second time it's like, oh, yeah, we kind of know each other. Third time back, man, I feel like this is just coming home, chatting with the boys kind of thing. Like, you know, like this is just a, this is, we're sat down for session three and it's all feeling like it's routine. You are going to have to find an, an, another guest as soon as possible. I'm sure people are getting sick of of my voice. Yeah, so, well, you know, I, I haven't had any negative feedback. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, and you know, I I won't fluff around at the intro here for too much longer. But we'll um, this will be like yeah, episode three, and then we'll go to number four next week, and then that'll we'll shift on to a, a new guest. Get you out of here because you kind of yeah, we'll be dusty by then. We've <laughs> squeezed out every little drop we could like you talk about shakespeare forever oh i could i could i'll just get a better guest in <laughs> episode <laughs> thank you only joking around all right well this episode today uh we are going to be doing something a little bit more let's say less academically rigorous in the discussion sure. uh yeah. we're going to be looking at a span of different villains we've each picked two villains um we're going to be talking about them and deciding which one we think is the best or maybe our favorite or the highlight of the episode you know it's the parameters we're not talking objectively here obviously so we can be as whatever as we want we don't have to um decide that iago is obviously the best villain to have ever existed on stage or screen uh you know we don't have to decide that that might be what we decide but either way it's not an objective decision <laughs> sure, um, good subjective is nice i like that so yeah let's let's open it up with the two villains that i'm going to be bringing uh, Iago from Othello and Shylock from the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and we'll talk about them pairing them up against one of them with one of yours and the other one with one of yours, and then we'll go to the finals. Um, but yeah, so who, who have you brought today, Diff? I am bringing one. Uh, I think probably the two that you've referenced are fairly well known. Um, and one of mine is very well known, which is Claudius, King Claudius from Hamlet. If people know anything about Shakespeare, they probably know something about Hamlet. I'd say, what do you reckon is the order of plays that people know? It's probably Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, and then I'd say probably Hamlet. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to know because it kind of depends on what you do in school, I suppose, and because that's most people's exposure to it. But Romeo and Juliet, um, Macbeth and Hamlet are on the basic uh, Queensland curriculum, and I think they're on other state curriculum as well. So they're probably the ones. And so I'd say people know Claudius. Uh, our audience probably knows Claudius. Uh, but the other one that I've chosen, I tried to think who's someone that maybe no one knows about, uh, just for fun. Uh, I was really, really close. Uh, you know, I was close to going to Edmund from King Lear, but because we spent time talking about Lear already, I thought, oh no, let's introduce one of my favourite plays, which very few people know about, which is Cymbeline. And in Cymbeline, there are a bunch of people I could choose as a villain, to be honest. Uh, and part of my conversation is going to be whether or not the uh, the main male protagonist is in fact a villain but i'll choose the obvious villain and that is a guy called iacomo so my two are claudius and iacomo awesome all right well big names i mean i think yeah you're right claudius is definitely the most well-known one um you know people might more know him as scar from lion king (laughs) (laughs) i wonder do you reckon uh, this is probably sad. It's probably true. But do you reckon Scar's more well-known than Claudius in popular uh, Well, yeah. without a doubt. Without, without a doubt. But people <laughs> aren't no forced argument. to watch The Lion King. People are forced to read Hamlet a lot of the time. So surely... I forced my students to watch The Lion King um, when we did uh, Hamlet and I was talking about Hamlet and I said, oh, this, it's like The Lion King, guys. And they're like, oh, we haven't seen The Lion King. I'm like, stop everything. We're watching The Lion King. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Like, I just don't think Lion King is actually being watched as much as it used to be, whereas, you know, Hamlet is still being forced down the necks of people, uh, which is not to say Hamlet is bad. Uh, Over great, the course but... of human history. No, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah no, but I mean, current standing. Yeah, I still think it's up right for debate. Scar all the way. Maybe. Which is Jeremy Irons, which... 
plays a character in the movie of The Merchant of Venice, which Sherlock is from. So, you know, look, it's all just coming together. Mm, but webs, just yep. webs, strands, <laughs> the tapestry of life. How beautiful. Um, all right. So let's start this off. I am uh, going to put up to the plate on my side first, Iago. Um, and I think it'd be good for, for the context of it. You can tell me who you'd like to face up against Iago. Uh, yeah, I think based upon who Iago is and also because I have a character who also has a name starting with IA, I will go Iacomo. That'll be good. Hopefully there's no um, oh, it's gonna trips get of the tongue. <laughs> so why don't oh. you tell me a little bit about Iago and why you think he's so good and then I'll tell you about Iacomo. Yeah, let's do that. So what I was uh, going to talk about with Iago is obviously there's, you know, all of these characters that we're bringing, we're bringing our one interpretation of their character and their motives and all of this. And these are all up for contention. People can believe whatever they want. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the in what they say, but obviously there's there's context behind that and lots of questions that can be drawn from those as well. So you can really get deeper than you know what the plot summary says. And I think Iago is a great example of this. You know, there are a lot of uh, ways that people interpret Iago, and some of them. Sorry, it might be helpful. Just give me like a, a one minute summary of Othello. Mm, yeah, that's true. I, I was going to open with this and then I just got too swept away with Iago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Othello is Othello is a tragedy in which a, if, if we boil it down to the plot into one sentence, husband and a wife and Iago comes in, doesn't like the husband, convinces the husband that the wife is, um, is not being faithful to him and then turns the husband against the wife and then the husband kills the wife. That's it spoilers there if you're listening oh. to these and you don't have spoilers then Brutal. honestly you shouldn't be listening to a play on these characters if you don't want to know what they've done but here's the thing that i will say just as an aside very quickly shakespeare does not live or die based upon whether or not you know the ending of the play it is not like some you know i don't know end game you know marvel avengers end game or something where the big thing at the end matters so much in fact shakespeare's always better the second third fourth time that you watch it or read it because if you know what's coming you can see the way that it all comes together he's not plot first it's about the writing that is that's what's so great about shakespeare not just the plot mm, and so it doesn't really matter you haven't really spoiled it hopefully you've just meant, made a whole bunch of people go man that sounds like a crazy play i should go and read it yeah no that's very true and and I mean, I guess this is why, you know, beyond the plot, this is why Marvel movies, people aren't really arguing about uh, the motives of different characters. They're there because it's the plot is what drives them. But with things like Shakespeare, and I mean, maybe they do argue about it a little bit, but with Shakespeare, it's far more common to actually get in the reads with what's actually happening with these characters because they're the ones that are propelling it forward. And so that's the basic plot of Othello, if you really want to boil it down. But even that, that projection of that plot uh, could be seen as me favoring one interpretation of who's really to blame a lot of people uh see iago as a villain but they see othello as the main villain they see othello as the one that killed his wife the one that believed this other guy the the fool who really just destroyed it all ruined his life uh and i mean there's there's definitely credence to that but what i would say is that that undermines the true role that iago has and the true weight of what he does and it also what it does is it uh devalues othello's character as well because it makes othello seem like it takes away what what's called his character throughout the play which is if what we set up three characters yeah if we set what, up three characters called? we've got desdemona is the wife she is and there's different interpretations but i'll put them forward as i like them desdemona is purity in itself as a character you can see her as representative of purity and honesty and she is quite literally uh she's unable to retaliate at the moments of her death because she's so pure she doesn't she's not a um i guess you could say she seems to be more perfect than fallen in terms of if you're looking at these characters she doesn't really seem to be flawed her flaw is that she isn't flawed in a flawed world is would she be how kind I present of passive her. then like she doesn't really take any active role in the play. yeah so her purity makes her well people say that her she's a passive boring character, right? They say she's a boring character, but her passivity is because she is, as I would say, this perfect character in an imperfect world. And therefore she can't actually interact with it in the way that other people are. She's still doing stuff throughout the play. Of course, it's not like she's just there in the background and you don't, she never talks. She's just a silhouette that you then see get killed. But anyway, so if we say she's purity, we see Othello as kind of, he's a straightforward kind of thinker. He's a, he's a, oh, I'm trying to remember the exact ranking he has. 
think he's um, a general by the end. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. So he's he's a general. He's an he's an army man. Uh, he's a more so dark skinned compared to the. I mean, the rest of the characters kind of get portrayed whatever, but he's distinctively a, a more. Uh, and he his flaw, I guess you could say, but his character trait is that he everything he does he does straightforwardly so if he trusts someone he trusts them if he doesn't trust someone he doesn't trust them these are he's just quite a straightforward this is what i will do i'm a man of action that's it which isn't necessarily a bad thing but once turned by someone like iago who knows him who does not like him and wants to be able to play him in a way that really sets him down a bad path that's where he becomes seen as a villain and he is a villain like he does some horrible things right he's a but he's more of a tragic villain rather than a a or a tragic hero you could even say but he's depending if you want to call him good or bad but he's not the the driving evil in this play the driving thing towards the tragedy which is where i think iago is people can downplay iago and say that he's uh just a jealous man or he he feels slighted because people have said that like there's there's a hint in the play that one of his motives could be that uh Othello had slept with his wife, right? That's that's hinted at in in one of the lines. Um, but I think there's more to him than that. I feel like Iago, and people really do see this. People that look at him, uh, they they see him as a as a real, almost satanic character who is just evil for the sake of evil, who despises truth, beauty, and goodness. I mean, and and one of the ways in which he says that there's a there's a line throughout the whole thing that he's he's really deceptive. So he. he and that's shown when, you know, his, his epithet throughout most of the play is Honest Iago. Everyone views him as Honest Iago, but, like, one of the first things he says in Act 1 is, I am not what I am. You know, he's, and he's saying, I follow Othello, who, who's his master. Well, I guess he's superior. But he says, I follow him to serve my turn upon him. You know, he's, he's presenting himself like a servant, but he's really serving himself. He's not his master. So is it a question of what is Iago's actual motivation? Well, I think so in terms of the fact of what makes him the villain of the play is that he's not the one that does the does the damage, really. He's just one saying things to people, leading people to do their own actions. And you go, oh, well, you know, that could be seen as more harmless than harmful in terms of like he's not really the main driver. But if you look at really what is in the desire of his actions and what he's doing is there's there's this real hatred for it all. So he said he says, virtue, a fig. It is in ourselves that we are thus or thus. Our bodies are are our gardens to which the to which our wills are gardeners you know he is um he's really this guy and he's this guy that wants to be able to do what he wants he wants the world on his terms mm. virtue what is this a fig later on he says blessed fig uh, blessed figs end i think he says and you know mm. it's like reveling in this it's late, later on as well he talks about love as it is merely a lust of the blood and a permission of the will so he's quite this guy that's kind of detracting things from a any sort of order beyond what he puts on a kind it. of interesting kind of Nietzschean will to power obsession like Definitely. will will is is all that matters in humanity virtue is subjective and, and will overpowers it but there's also there's this interesting thing with him as well is that he's you have to watch the lines that you grab from him and whether he's talking to someone or whether he's talking mm. to the audience because he's dishonest the whole way through he's I'm not what I am everyone calls him mm. honest Iago I'm not honest uh, and so it's actually even difficult because those lines that I just said then are lines that he's saying to uh, Rodrigo, who is kind of his co-conspirator throughout the whole thing. Although he's manipulating Rodrigo, it's not like they're teammates. Um, but then there's some lines that he says on his own, you know. Uh, and so one of those is, is he's kind of set, spends a little bit of time setting up, oh, no, I'm not the villain. People say, what villainous motives? No, not me. And then halfway through the, that monologue, he goes, divinity of hell, when devils will the blackest sins put on, they do suggest at first with heavenly shows as I do now. And so he, he does this little change where he goes, no, that this, this heavenly show, this show of grace, this show of whatever you want to take from that. But he, he's saying, yeah, the heavenly shows, that's what I'm doing now. But what's really happening is the blackest sins. This is what his motive is for it. And then he goes on to talk about, I'll pour pestilence into Othello's ear. So will I turn uh, Desdemona's virtue into pitch and out of her own goodness make the net that shall enmesh them all. And so, so he, he, like, he hates goodness. He hates hmm. the virtue. So I thought, is he not jealous? Doesn't Othello get promoted kind of over him or around him or something right at the start of the play? 
Isn't there some question of rank and he doesn't think that Othello deserves the rank that he has and he wanted it? Or is that is that his friend, a different guy? No, remember. no. It, Othello, I think um, from memory, you may be right, but I actually think it's Othello promotes someone else other than Iago. Yes, that's right. Yep, uh, right. And Iago's like, oh, why would you? Why? But then I don't think that has enough as a motivating power. Like This is what people say, like he's a jealous or a scorned man, but that's not enough of a motivation for this level of hatred for good, you know, and for... Like, I will turn her virtue into pitch and out of her own goodness make the net that shall enmesh them all. Like, that's he sees Desdemona as what she is. If we go and to he doesn't my, like it, he and doesn't he doesn't like it. it, he sees her purity and he goes, This perfect person in an imperfect world, well, I'll, I'll use her perfectness to destroy her and everyone around her. So, is is he perhaps, is there any sign in the play that he actually is in love with Desdemona? Like, he's got a wife, but she's, she's an interesting character in herself and they've got an interesting relationship. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't believe so. I mean, there's, there's, he talks with Rodrigo a lot about Desdemona because he's trying to get Rodrigo to pursue her, right? Mm. And so I think even there, you have to be careful of what he's saying. But that's when he starts talking about love. You know, it is merely a lust of the blood and the permission of the will. He's trying to really say, you know, what is there beyond what what we want? These great yeah. things of beauty, truth, and goodness. What are they? They are not. Yeah, he's a pretty good villain. I'll give you that, James. I think he's, he's awesome. <laughs> he's certainly better than my first offering. That's for sure. Well, give us a rundown of Yakimo. Okay. Let's, let's see what you got. Here's the thing. Like, you're going to have all of this great evidence for uh, for Iago. And Yakimo is just one of a few villainous kind of characters in, in a problem play. So it's it's not a tragedy. Uh, it doesn't end with uh, the main characters dying. Uh, it, it, kind of, it kind of ends with people getting married but you know it's 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 not a straight um sort of comedy either you know so it's it's one of the later plays and for that reason it kind of gets called a bit of a problem play or you could call it a romance one of the ro- romances uh similar to a winter's tale so and and I'm and I'm not I'm going to have to very simply talk about the plot because the plot is absolutely bananas there are so many <laughs> yeah. different points all interweaving with each other and so much mistaken identity it's like I feel like Cymbeline Shakespeare grabbed all of his other plays and he took all of the cool little plot devices from all of them and jammed them into one play uh it is it is really really crazy so one of the little plots is uh the the main character probably is posthumous uh Leonardo Leonardus although you could say that Imogen is also a main character as well so posthumous Leonardus and Imogen uh, uh, together, and at one point in time, Posthumus has to go over to goes over to Rome. When he's in Rome, he's just hanging out with some of his mates there, hanging out with uh, Filario and a, another guy who's just kind of in the pub having having a drink and having a yarn. A guy called Iacomo. Posthumus is a, he's just a really really confident guy. So he just gets out and about. He's like everybody loves me. And they do basically. Everybody really, you know, that they, they, they think he's a pretty cool guy, um, and he probably has quite a bit of arrogance attached to that. He's very brash, and he gets there in the pub and he just starts talking about how great his missus is, how great Imogen is. Right? He's just always going on about Imogen and how pure she is and how loyal she is. And Yakimo is just gets over it like he's just listening to posthumous talk and he just gets sick of it and i can imagine like i think one of the reasons i like yakimo is because i think i would have a similar reaction if i heard someone <laughs> going on like this i'd be like oh i've had enough of this crap right i wouldn't go as far as yakimo does because this is what he does he lays a bet with posthumous to say i don't actually think that your confidence should be where it is he's not laying a bet it's very important to recognize He's not laying a bet against her virtue, against Imogen's virtue. He's laying a, a, a wager against his confidence. He actually says at one point, I make my wager rather against your confidence than her reputation. And he says, uh, and to buy your offense herein, I durst attempt it against any lady in the world. And really what he's saying is, I reckon I could get any lady in the world to betray their husband, to betray their lover. Um, he just is similar to Iago. So they're very similar in this sense. He's just like, I just don't think people are that good. I just don't think it's like that. He's not pure evil in the same way that Iago is. Um, but he just gets sick of posthumous going on and he's like, no, nope, I reckon, I reckon I could, 
I could get her to sleep with me. And that's what he ends up doing. Posthumus is like, mate, we can take, I'll take that bet. There's no way she's going to sleep with you. And that just spurs him on even more. And Filario, their friend, is in the middle just going, come on, guys, let's just have a drink. Can we just forget this? But it gets pretty extreme. It's like, you're going to give me $10,000 if I get her to sleep with me. And, and Posthumus is like, well, uh, if, if, if she doesn't sleep with you, then I will... Um, get to fight you and, you know, like in, in a duel, and potentially even kill you. And Falaro's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Why does this, uh, we're just having a couple of drinks here, guys. But they just like egging each other on. Anyway, Yakumo goes over to, uh, over to England and um, finds Imogen and he's got to come up with an idea, some sort of way to get her to sleep with him. And so the first thing he does is he says that um, old mate Posthumus has been sleeping around over there. So he just says, mate, you are you are a great woman. You're a really good looking woman. You're a really nice woman. You seem to be, you know, so so no- noble and virtuous. Um, whereas your mate over there, he's just been sleeping around with everybody. And then he says, you got to get revenge. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's kind of... It's kind of ordinary. Like, he's, it's a really ordinary kind of ploy. He's like, man, he's been sleeping with everyone. You should sleep with me. <laughs> and Imogen's <laughs> like, mm, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. At one point, he says, um, "What? which rottenness can lend nature? Such boiled stuff as well might poison poison. Be revenged. Or she that bore you was no queen because she's the princess. And you recoil from your great stock. So he's a, he's a, um, appealing to her royalty, to, to the strength of who she is, to say she gets some revenge. And she's like, revenged? How should I be revenged? Like, there's there's no way that I would be revenged. She actually says, if this be true, as I have such a heart that both mine ears must not in haste abuse, if it be true, how should I be revenged? She, she can't even think of it. It doesn't even cross her mind. But Yakimo is like, basically says, hey, just get with me. That, that'll, be a, that'll be a really good revenge. Let's just do that. He says, I dedicate myself to your sweet pleasure more noble than a runagate to your bed and will continue faster your affection still closer sure and she's like at that moment instantly she's like that is that's a terrible idea <laughs> i am not going to do that she calls for a servant um and yakimo was left standing there like oh man and he says this he says oh happy leonardus i may say the credit that thy lady hath of thee deserves thy trust and thy most thy most perfect goodness her assured credit. Blessed live you long, a lady to the worthiest sir that ever country called his, and you his mistress only for that most worthiest fit. And then he says, um, he's like, well, I still need to win this wager. So she's not going to sleep with me, but maybe I can find a way to get her to make it to, to tell him that she actually did. And he, then he, then we have, I think, one of the coolest scenes in any Shakespeare play. She goes to sleep, but before that, he's like, oh, I've brought you a present. Uh, it's in this box. I'll have the servants put the box in your room. So then the next scene is she's asleep in her bed. Uh, it's nighttime, and the box is sitting there. And then slowly the box opens and Yakimo crawls out of the box. And I just, it's just this awesome scene for this random play um, that not many people kind of know about. There are heaps of paintings of this scene just because it's such a cool moment. And he looks around and he's like memorizing the inside of what her bedchamber looks like. And then he looks at her, memorizes what she looks like. She's kind of almost half undressed because she's in bed. And so he memorizes where a couple of moles are on her body that he wouldn't know otherwise unless he'd seen her kind of naked. And then he's like, okay, sweet, good deal. Uh, and goes back to Rome. And... Posthumus is like, all right, I assume that uh, she didn't sleep with you, of course, so let's have the fight. And he's like, whoa, 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 not so fast. Um, actually, I did. And Posthumus is like, ah, prove it. And then he goes through and talks about the inside of her room, talks about this bracelet that she had, talks about this mole that he saw underneath uh, one of her breasts. And Posthumus immediately is like, holy crap, it's true. Like, you did sleep with her. And then he says instantly, Oh, that I had her here to tear her limb meal. I will go there and do it in the court before her father. <laughs> I'll do something. And then he storms <laughs> off, right? He just goes nuts. And and Yakimo was like, man, this is so good. That's exactly what I wanted. What a sweet, sweet thing that's happened. And this is how far it goes. He sends a letter to Pisanio, his old uh, servant who's looking after Imogen, and says to Pisanio, I want you to kill her. 
she's been disloyal to me. I want you to murder her. Uh, and it kind of kicks off this whole other next subplot of the story, which is her running away and him lying. And she she dresses up as a as a boy, and then she ends up finding some people who have actually the princes and her half brothers uh, doesn't even know. Like it is a nuts story. But that's Yakimo, uh, and that's really this is this is the difference between the two. There's not really much else to talk about with Yakimo. At the end of the day, he just gets like forgiven by Posthumus. And the hardest thing to talk about is that. Um, Imogen just forgives Posthumus straight up. She's like, he's like, I want her dead. And she's just like, oh, that was, you know, I still love you so much. And in the end, everyone's just happy. Everyone gets forgiven. And there's all these reuniting, you know, people who have been long lost to each other for a long time. And that's the end. But Yakimo gets forgiven. He's just a cool guy. He's just a sleazy, sleazy dude just trying to get some action. He's just like, um, yeah, like it's almost, it's very similar in terms of, um, you know what they're doing it's just but it's just you know the motives behind it like iago is you know does a similar thing deceives the husband and sends the husband on a murderous rant towards the wife they both mm. do it uh mm. but man this is what i mean by saying that he's got all of it. these different all of these different plots and little motifs from all of these other other places even the name iacomo is so similar to iago and mm. he's and he plays such a similar role but as opposed to Othello, which is this kind of really close-up uh, inspection and interrogation of relationships and, and love and virtue and jealousy. This is just one of like a million plots in Cymbeline. And so you just get these little pieces of everything as opposed to a deep interrogation of the ideas, which is probably why Yakimo should should justifiably lose this fight against Iago as far as a villain. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's like almost like a big brother, little brother. They look the same, but you know one of them's winning the fight because just yes, like, exactly. Yeah. So And I would say my main reason is I just want people to read Cymbeline. It's so cool. Yeah, that's fair. No, that's good. Um, brilliant. Well, let's move on to the next round. Obviously, yeah, I guess through that one. Uh, I'm bringing forward, and we'll do it. I'll try and be faster with these ones so we can um, get through it all. But I'm going to be doing Shylock from Merchant of Venice. Merchant of Venice's plot is... Uh, you know, quite simple in terms of if you're looking at it from Charlotte's, Sherlock's perspective. Uh, he's a Jew. He doesn't like the Christians. The One of the Christians wants to borrow some money from him uh, and he lends them the money. But when they don't pay him back, he pretty much says, well, you have to give me your life because you can't pay me. Uh, and that's where it kind of ends. Sherlock ends up getting messed around a bit and doesn't quite get what he wants. Things don't turn out his way. Uh, and that's the way it ends. Actually, you know, I'm... Now that I'm thinking about the Merchant of Venice again, it wouldn't be a tragedy either because no, it's no, got it's a happy a ending. Yeah. Um, even though from Sherlock's perspective, some might think it's a tragic tale. And that's what I wanted well, to Well, he doesn't about. die, so that's pretty good. No, but I, I think Sherlock, um, the thing that's very different between him and Iago is Iago is this grand villain who almost is easy to not see yourself within you know you see this this satanic character that you're like oh, he's so evil this guy like mm. i'd never despise beauty truth and goodness like he does mm. i wouldn't want to see purity die for purity because it's not because it's pure um whereas mm. shylock i remember the first time i read merchant of venice i, I pitied him i was like man shylock gets the bad end of this stick he is he is unlucky this dude is just unjust it's unjust and for this him is to why i want happen. you to convince me that he is a that he is a villain yeah so the reason I think that that his he's a villain, and the reason I want to talk about him is because what ha- what his like almost defining um, trait is is his selfishness, and this is this is shown in either his greed of his money uh, and the way that he lends money at at a rate in which he gets more back, and it's that that's a very contentious point between him and the Christians as well. They they lend at a far lower rate, and therefore he's angry at them because they're bringing down the rate for everyone here. The rate of usance here uh, is being brought down by. Uh, Antonio, that's that's what he's saying, uh, and and so you see the selfishness there. But what ends up happening? So he, that's not really the bit I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus on his view of justice, and that the way that he sees justice is from a selfish perspective, and he he doesn't afford grace or or anything like that towards others. And this is what ends up being his downfall because what he cares more about is being righted from his own perspective. And I love it though. The court scene at the end where Portia is is dressed up and looks like she's on his side, and he keeps on saying, "A Daniel, a Daniel," you know, <laughs> the wisdom, the wisdom of this of this young lawyer, uh, because he can see justice 
you know, coming his way, his idea of justice. And then, of course, it it gets it gets turned on him. Yeah, and I agree, and I, I think that's and then and then he spiraled out of control, and like he's 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 wronged. And you're like, oh, he was wronged there. You know, he now has no money and no flesh, and what this is so un- unfair. But it's not because he had the option to have twice what he had given. He he had the option to be given just more money, like twice as much money as he was owed. Uh, and he chooses not to have that because what he wants is revenge where he doesn't yeah, want yeah. justice he wants revenge and yeah. so there's this understanding of his way of viewing the world as one that does not afford grace to others uh he is he's a graceless man in terms of he doesn't want to help anyone he's in it for himself and things are for himself he won't sacrifice himself for others this happens throughout the whole thing his and his greed's playing in here all the way and that's probably what people most talk about him from his, his greedy point of view in terms of like his his daughter runs mm. off with him and the whole time that he's kind of moaning about that is it's like my daughter my ducats my daughter my ducats my ducats kind of mm. thing and then he goes to this he shows he cares more about his money than his his daughter and i mean maybe it's actually yeah, that it's he a, cares it's more about really... possession and his possession and once his daughter's not his well that's like you know whereas his ducats really I, I feel like it's a very purposefully ambiguous or gray gray scale kind of rendering it's not black and white shakespeare gives enough credit to shylock and he and he paints the christians badly enough that i don't think it's a black and white thing so for instance the christians hate shylock from the beginning it's it's a really important thing to recognize he always says you spit on me you spurn me like why should i give you a loan they go to him for a loan they don't want to but they go to him for a loan and he says, why should you from the beginning? And then he tells us the way that they treat him, which is true. All right. The Christians, he doesn't like them because they are against usury, right? They're against lending out at, uh, with interest, but they don't like him because he does use usury and he is kind of scorned by all of them. So yeah, and I, I agree. I agree. And I think this is the distinguishing bit about him. And this is why I, I like him as a contrast to Iago, right? You see, Iago is an evil faced against good. He's hating on purity and dragging it down with him. Whereas, so he, he's the imperfect world destroying the perfection that exists. Whereas what you have is Shylock exists in an imperfect world and he is treated unfairly, but he treats others unfairly as well. So there's like no one here is actually really morally right. I mean, maybe Portia actually. Portia's quite awesome throughout the whole play. Portia's um, pretty good. But... But when you're looking at his character, you know, like the thing that I like about him is that he, we can all relate to him far more. We offer him sympathy because it's like, oh, well, he's just getting revenge. He's just getting the justice that's really due to him. It's like, it's not like he's unwronged, but what's actually being shown here is, you know, if he had afforded grace in that moment, if he had decided to do that, he would have been better off. The world would have been better off. He crossed a line. So it's maybe it's worth explaining that. So right at the end of the play in the, in the court scene, Portia comes in and there's all these offers to him to get more money than he should have because what he really wants is the pound of flesh, which is what he is due. That's his right. Um, that's the agreement that he had uh, with, was it Antonio or was it with? Um, Bassanio, I think Bassanio. he lended from, but with yeah. Antonio's. Antonio yeah. was the one that gave him the assurances on that's Bassanio's right. yeah. behalf. Yeah. And so he wants his pound of flesh and it's kind of clear that the pound of flesh is going to kill the person, you know, that uh, it's cut off. And he's like, well, that's my right. That's 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 justice. That's the thing I deserve. Um, even though at some point in time he could have gotten more, he could have gotten more money. He And so you kind of have this question, I think, first of all, about whether or not that's really a bad thing. Now, it's clear that he probably wants it because he knows that it's going to hurt the other person more. So that's the only reason he could want it. What else uh, would you want a pound of flesh? Like well, he could be obsessed with justice. He could just, he could yeah, absolutely but- say, this is what justice is. There is a contract and I'm a man of my word and I will stick to the contract. I don't want any more. I don't want any less. I just want the contract. It's clear though that he, that he does want it for revenge reasons as opposed to justice reasons. My mm. issue is that once, once he, once that happens, uh, once it makes, it becomes clear that he's not going to accept any money, he wants his pound of flesh. Uh, then it gets twisted on him and obviously the whole thing gets turned around. And I, I just, 
I think the whole thing is fine and I'm okay with like, he's a, he's a bad guy and, and you know, he should have grace, but then I get really frustrated that the, uh, the other characters don't have any for him. And I don't think that they do by saying, we gave you this opportunity and now you didn't take it. So now we're going to take you for everything. They could have easily given him grace afterwards and he would have learned his lesson. 100%, 100%. But here's the thing. We're not talking about these plays and who's in the right or wrong. We're looking at these individual characters and what is it about them that, you know, like I would still say you could argue that if, if we think that that is a villainous thing, then they're all villains. Yeah. We, and, but here's the great thing. We're all villains, right? Yeah. And so what is it like? It's, I just, I really like Sherlock's character in a way of being like, you know, if we are, if we are after justice and fairness on our own terms in a way that suits everything to be evened out, if we are, if we are after being right without showing love, then we are not right, you know, especially not in from a Christian sense. If you say, like, if God was right without showing love, mm. then like, and he'd, he'd be right in that, I, I guess. But if he was right without showing love, then none of us would would mm. really like there, there's no salvation for us right and yeah. so th- we have to model that kind of that kind of you love. Need grace and mercy exactly anyway that's shylock let's talk about claudius okay sure uh claudius from hamlet uh obviously king claudius is the king uh when the start of the play opens up he's the king of denmark and he uh, he has just taken over from his brother. His brother, who is also named Hamlet, Hamlet Senior, uh, has died, and so Claudius has married the queen, who would have been his sister-in-law, uh, Gertrude, and they are now reigning as king and queen. Uh, Hamlet's obviously Hamlet Senior's son with Gertrude, and now Claudius is his uncle, but also his father. Uh, so there's some strange relationship going on there. Why is Claudius so bad? Well, of course, if you don't know the story, it becomes very clear that Claudius killed his brother in order to take the throne and take Gertrude as the queen. So he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy from the start. You don't really see it. And depending on how you portray him, I remember when we did Hamlet, when I did Hamlet in school, which you were in, you were either Rosencrantz or Guildenstern. I can never remember. I was Rosencrantz, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I purposely wanted Claudius to look like a nice guy. Mm. So it started with him. He was having a party and he's a real party animal. The guy that we had to play in was just like a really, really likable guy um, so that you could kind of not necessarily immediately hate him. It's it's something that I think you can kind of grow into is realizing just how bad he really is. But, of course, it turns out that he's pretty bad because by the end of the play, he is really pretty much killed everyone before he himself dies, hoisted by his own petard in the fact that he gets stabbed with the poison sword that he had destined for Hamlet and drank and, and forced to drink the poison wine that he had destined for Hamlet as well. The poison sword had been used inadvertently to kill uh, Laodes or to stab Laodes uh, and also to stab Hamlet. So he's dying at the time of stabbing Claudius and forcing him to drink the wine. And his wife, Gertrude, has inadvertently drunk the poison wine as well. A number of other people die throughout the play. And a lot of people, the big debate around Hamlet is, is it Hamlet's fault that they all die? Because Hamlet has the opportunity to uh, avenge his father, to get revenge and and to deal with Claudius. And he delays and he's not sure. And there's lots and lots of debates about why he delays. Um, but obviously then Ophelia dies, so Hamlet's girlfriend, she, she seems to kill herself uh, after her father Polonius dies as well. Uh, so really Claudius is kind of the, the instrument of all of this misery and woe in Denmark. And in fact, Denmark itself dies, gets taken over by Norway at the end of the play by Prince Fortinbras. So uh, that's Claudius. Um, I think one of the reasons that he's such a bad guy is because of his, you, you just see him lying constantly, um, lying to Hamlet, lying to Gertrude, and one of the one of the great scenes is when he's trying to ask for forgiveness. Mm. So he goes at one point into a uh, into a church or a, or a chapel kind of area, and he tries to 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 kneel down and say his prayers and ask for forgiveness, uh, but he can't. He he does everything that he can, but at the end he ends up saying, my words fly up, but my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. 
he realizes that his offense, he says, oh, my offense is rank. It smells to heaven. It hath the primal eldest curse upon it, a brother's murder. Awesome reference to Cain and Abel there, the primal eldest curse. Pray can I not, though inclination be as sharp as will. My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. And like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I shall first begin and both neglect. And what's his reason, right? It's, it's really interesting. He's having this moment of, of trying to work out, do I really even want to be forgiven for this? Because what's mm. forgiveness? The implication is you wouldn't do it again. Like you realize it was wrong and you wouldn't do it again. But he says, what if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it as white as snow? Where to serves mercy but to confront the visage of offence? And what's in prayer but this twofold force to be forestalled ere we come to fall or pardon being down? Then I'll look up. My fault is past. But oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder? That cannot be, since I'm still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. My crown mine own ambition and my queen may one be pardoned and retain the offense. And he says, no, like I'm not going to do that. He says, um, what then what rests, what try, what repentance can, what can it not yet? What can it when one cannot repent a wretched state, a bosom black as death, a limed soul that struggling to be free art more engaged help angels make us say, Bow stubborn knees and heart with strings of steel be softest sinews of the newborn babe, all may be well. And then he kneels down and prays, and it's one of the greatest scenes where Hamlet walks in behind him with a dagger and has the opportunity to kill him while he's praying. And he says, and now he's praying and now I will send him to hell. And then Hamlet chooses not to kill him at that point because, hold on, he's praying. If I kill him while he's praying, he's going to go to heaven. Mm. So he, he wants to choose a better time to get his revenge because he wants to make sure he goes straight to hell, which here's, here's the which thing is I, cool. It is it's very cool. And it's, yeah, it's a great moment. Um, but here's the issue I have with Claudius is that, I don't know, and you'll be able to refute me on this, but I just feel like his character doesn't change. There's nothing, ha- like he starts to play a bad dude. He's done bad things. He ends to play a bad dude doing bad things. There's no real, and that middle moment is like almost the only part where it's like, seems like he's teetering on something, but no, it's not. He's still the same guy doing the same things. Mm. So this is maybe, maybe you can answer that kind of refutation in terms of like, yeah, he's, he's the things he's done are, are bad, but his character like just seems to be overshadowed by almost any other character because he's just the same guy the whole way through. There's like the, the stuff that happens with Ophelia, really cool really interesting great thing to talk about stuff that happens with hamlet throughout the whole thing really cool but like what's actually happening with claudius that isn't happening to him yeah i guess he kind of started the whole thing and then and then after that you know you you imagine this play set uh five weeks before so you see the potential of him i don't know maybe he catches gertrude's eye across the banquet table and they have an illicit affair and then who knows she puts the idea and you don't know any of this stuff right yeah, so but, but i think that's the cool stuff like in terms of claudius's progression as a character that's yeah. the stuff i'd like to see of him but the he's play's not, the not about him no it's not he's not he's not the play and everyone every character in shakespeare is going to get overshadowed by hamlet like there is, that's my opinion, obviously, but I just think Hamlet is the most complex, most incredibly written character of all of Shakespeare. And he's great. A lot of people would say, oh, yeah, that's just such a standard opinion. And, oh, I really thought, think King Lear is better or whatever. People can like that if they like. But I just I just think that it's no surprise that in when you've got such a complex character like Hamlet, the other characters need to play a kind of a second fiddle to that. Now, Claudius, Claudius, he, I think there's room to show him changing depending on how you stage the play. Like I said, I tried to on purpose. I tried to get Claudius to get more and more chaotically nervous about what was going on. You know, at the start, he's just like, man, you know, like, we'll be right. We'll be right, Hamlet. Like, just call me, call me, call me dad. Um, and then <laughs> things just kind of get more and more out of control. Well, don't forget, he, he says to Hamlet and he says to Gertrude, man, um, this is after Hamlet has killed Polonius by accident, not knowing who it was. Probably thought it was Claudius or hoped that it was Claudius, but it ended up being Polonius who was spying on him when he was talking to his mum. And and he says, oh, um, 
we're going to send Hamlet to England for his own safety because he's going nuts, you know. And and I think he it's it's for our safety as well, but really it's for his safety because he's going crazy. Um, and then he gives a letter to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who, by the way, he got like some old school friends of Hamlet mm. to come back and spy on him for for him. So like he'd been plotting this whole thing and then he gives a letter to them, a sealed letter saying to the King of England, hey, uh, this is my uh, stepson, Hamlet. When he gets there, can you kill him for me, please? And it's only that Hamlet opens up the letter, sees what's in there, changes it so that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern get killed instead when they get there, which is just another sweet move from Mm -hmm. Hamlet. It's only because of that that he comes back. And then Claudius is like, holy crap, man, how the hell is he coming back? I thought he was I thought he was going to get killed. So. Claudius, I think, goes on a transition of trying to deal with stuff himself and then trying to get people in as spies. And then eventually he's like, that's enough. Enough is enough. And of course, when Laodes comes back in after he hears about Polonius being killed, Laodes is nuts. He's furious. And he's like, I'll kill everyone. I'll kill you all. I'll kill you, Claudius. And Claudius is like, let me tell you who's really responsible for this. Uh, and you can you you can kill him. You can get your justice. And then so he plots with Laodes as well. And Laodes was friends with Hamlet. So Claudius turns everyone against Hamlet. The only people that he can't turn against Hamlet are the people not involved in the court, which is basically all of Denmark. All of Denmark loves Hamlet. And so he's very, very threatened by Hamlet, thinking that he's going to be, you know, the next heir, the person who's going to take over after him. So I think Claudius changes enough. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think that changing is a key requirement for villainy no, i'd say yeah, iago no. doesn't change that much he's just Definitely badass the whole time. yeah but I, I think that's maybe it's um a difference between claudius seems the most stagnant in terms of if you compared him with iago and because it just because he's not the main mover of the play he's at the start sure he's the first domino that topples or mm. he pushes the first domino but it's actually all the dominoes that get hit afterwards that becomes the cool thing. Well, to I, would look at. I would at least say he's more of a villain than Shylock. I think you've got yeah, to give me that one. Fair enough. I would say he's more of a villain than Shylock. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you think of Merchant of Venice, people will remember Shylock as the main character. Like the, the character that people remember from Merchant of Venice is Shylock, first and foremost. Um, no sure. one ever remembers Antonio or Bassanio's names, like whatever. Mm. Um, so I think there's something to be said for Shylock there in that he's very memorable because of that that more complex nature of him. But I, I'm happy to give it to Claudius for this round because I do think um, in terms of villains, he is definitely more of a villain and a better villain uh, and more interesting. Uh, yeah. He it, it, well, might not be more interesting, but he's just no, more of a villain. He's more it's interesting more in the way that you can portray him as a villain, you know? Like there's... there's hmm. um, You could portray him as a schemer or you could portray him as more of a, a brutish fumbling guy who's trying to make plans that just keep falling through, you know? Like... Both of those. Yeah, I think none of his I think ultimately, work. when when we when we did it, um, Claudius was my was the most fun person to think through his character because of the reason that you can you can portray him in a bunch of different ways. At the end of the day, Hamlet's Hamlet. Uh, Ophelia is definitely Ophelia. What can you do? Uh, Gertrude is kind of this. Uh, Gertrude, there's some complexity as well, particularly halfway through when she starts to really regret stuff, you know, when uh, Hamlet sees the ghost of his father again in her presence and she's really like, what is going on? Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of scope to have a lot of fun with Claudius. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, well, here we are to the finals. We've got Iago and Claudius. I mean, I almost feel bad bringing it up claudius here just to lose but <laughs> no i don't got, even disagree yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't even disagree i think you can't go past and this is why my i think the only competition and clearly i wasn't playing properly that iago really has is edmund from king lear i mean edmund is absolutely shocking mm. he just he plants lies on his brother and on his father he loves to see his brother and his father get taken mm. down He's he's purposely like he's just like wooing ladies left, right, and center to manipulate them. He's a bastard, he's, man. He's a he's, whole, he's a bastard in both senses. Like he yeah, he, he is, and that is one of the most so interesting bad. things. One of the most interesting things about him is he's just like man. Everyone calls me a bastard and expects the worst of me, so I'm just going to be a bastard. And he mm. and he actually makes this decision at the start of the play just to be a really really bad guy. I could have chosen Edgar if I thought, ah, oh, yeah, let's try to have a crack at beating Iago. But at the end of the day, I think Iago, I mean, sorry, Edmund, I think Iago is as bad as it gets. Yeah, I agree. Which, you know, 
That's why I shotgunned him last episode. Uh, also because I think <laughs> Othello's, I, I don't know, I think Othello is my favourite play. Although that being said, I feel like the last play I read or watched tends to be my favourite play from Shakespeare. Yeah. Because it's just like the one that sticks in here. They're all so good uh, that, yeah, you could just, like I think Macbeth was probably, or no, I, I did Macbeth and then it was Romeo and Juliet the, just like a week after that. And I was like, oh, man, Romeo and Juliet's awesome. Yeah, you know, like and there's just... some cool villains in that, man. Mm-hmm. Like the Tipper Friar or maybe he the Friar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, he's like this. Friar just... Lawrence is a legend. Yeah, he is. But I mean, come on. At the same time. Yeah. Anyway, we've probably spoken way over. I'm pretty sure we have. Uh, but that's okay. That was a good chat. And Iago wins, so I'll take my medal. Um for well, what just, are we doing next know, week? So I'll try to make sure I beat you. Yeah, well, next week was not going to be a competition, but we can ah. make it one. We were just going to do uh, golden moments in Shakespeare, so like moments of gold, some of yep. our favourite moments, and just chat about them. Um, yep. So, you know, like the Merchant of Venice, that mo- that court scene is in itself a golden moment. Uh, mm. Just so great. Moments like that. And the in the chapel scene with Hamlet, mm. another moment mm. of gold, or the Iacomo coming out of the chest. Like that, all of these moments, there's so many moments in Shakespeare, so I, we're just going to sit down, have a chat for maybe you know, 30, 40 minutes and sure. pick our, our favourites. Yeah, easy. Thanks for that, Diff. Uh, did you want to tell people about the podcast that you're on? People may not have oh, listened yeah. to the previous episode, yep. so give them if a quick anyone's interested, If anyone's interested, they can check out uh, Chiron, C-H-I-R-O-N, Chiron podcast, which is about the history of ideas and how they impact uh, the way that we live today. At the moment, doing a short series on humanity's desire to be God. And it's uh, going from talking about Satan and the Tower of Babel, talking about uh, Acedia, and last episode was a big one on nominalism, which is uh, some complex stuff, but I try to take it slow and make it simple and try to have some fun doing it. And surely there'll be a reference to Iago within one of these episodes. I'll have to throw it in now because talking about it, he's certainly this kind of beyond good and evil character. So Mm. uh, I think think he'll fit in somewhere in the future. And then so so will Hamlet because there's lots of Hamlet in there as well. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to The Art of Inquiry. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, feel free to give us a like or a review, Apple, Spotify. I mean, the podcast is anywhere, so anywhere you want to review. And if you want to review in, you know, more than one place, you're more than welcome to. I'm not going to stop you. Otherwise, to support us as well as we've uh, got some pretty cool merch on the website, which has been a few have been selling, which has been pretty cool to see. Uh, we really appreciate that. And shout out to all of you people who have uh, already started supporting the show financially. Thank you very much.